Astrid and Jamila would like to acknowledge that this podcast was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and we note that this sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Anonymous Was a Woman a podcast made possible by the glorious folk at Hachette Publishing, by the team at Future Women and, of course, Bad Producer Productions. My name is Jamila Rizvi and I'm joined by my co-host Astrid Edwards and our theme today is Grown Up. Astrid, I think it's important for us to pause for a moment on the theme because last week we did Coming of Age. So for you, what's the difference between a book which deals with the idea of being a grown-up and a book that deals with the concept of coming of age? That is an excellent question. I think, to be honest, there is a bit of overlap. But for me, the difference is coming of age implies that transition. It implies that you are learning something. It implies a bit of change. We're grown-up or growing up kind of suggests the weight of adult responsibilities, or even if you're not an adult, the weight of serious and consequential responsibilities. It means that there's not really anyone to necessarily get you out of trouble. You are the person who has to sort it out yourself. And we all know that can be a little bit difficult. I am someone who has never sort of thought about the idea of coming of age or when I came of age until our conversation last week. It just sort of wasn't something in my vernacular when I applied it to myself. But the concept of being a grown-up is one that has dominated most of my adult life with this kind of sense of, oh, I am a grown-up now and not always feeling like I'm capable of being the grown-up. Does anybody ever feel like they're a grown-up? I genuinely don't know the answer to that. I still feel like I used to feel, you know, a decade ago, and yet I am a decade older with a different decade's worth of responsibilities and mistakes and and successes and and all of that comes with it. You know, Jam, my mum listens to this podcast and my mum misses her mum. And even though I look at my mum as someone who is an adult and has been an adult for ages and I can go to, to, you know, get advice or, you know, help me get out of trouble, mum probably feels the same way she did at my age or younger. And yet she doesn't have that grown up figure above her. And I don't think I understood what that meant to my mum until recently. And I think maybe we're all looking for a bit of help or someone to share their responsibilities with. Well, when you think about childhood, what defines childhood as a feeling, or I suppose what I would hope defines most people's childhood, is a sense that your problems are solvable, that your problems are small enough that you can go to these figures of wisdom, these grown-ups in your life, and solve them. And, you know, I feel that very acutely being a parent of a six-year-old now, I can still solve my little boy's problems. I can solve the fights with friends. I can solve not getting what he wanted for his birthday or being grumpy that we aren't going to someone's house to play today. You know, little people, little problems. But part of being grown up is having problems that perhaps can't be solved anymore. And I think that leaves us all 
with that deep desire and wanting to be able to go to a parent figure again and say, here's everything that's gone wrong, can you fix it? We've talked about responsibilities and problems, but being a grown-up also comes with, you know, there are some fun stuff too. We, we have autonomy, we have choice, and we do get to, in many ways, do what we want. Although I would suggest that I do a lot less than I want than I thought I would when I was growing up. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Also, if you think about it from a literature perspective, traditionally we have thought about adulthood or being grown up as associated with no longer living with your parents, marrying and having your own family. So now that we live in an era where Marriage seems to mean a lot less than it used to and a lot of people just don't bother with it despite being in loving, committed relationships and fewer couples are choosing to have children. What are these markers of being a grown-up? I might throw in there as well, uh, buying a house I think used to be a marker of of adulthood and, and now there are a lot of adults who would laugh at you if you said they were ever going to buy a house. I'm a woman who has chosen not to have children and I don't think that means anything when one is thinking about the type of literature or characters in literature that one can fall in love with and spend a lot of time with. So for example, the book that I am bringing to everyone today, The Other Half of You by Michael Muhammad Ahmed is actually a love letter to his son. And I have to say, this is one of the more engaging fiction books I have read for a very long time. Similarly, I am bringing The Smash Up by Ali Benjamin, which is about a fictional couple with a young daughter. And the parents in The Smash Up are anything but grown up and anything but mature. So I think certainly literature that's being written right now reflects the way people are living their lives and those markers of adulthood or of middle age are really shifting and shifting in a big way. We're going through uh, real changes as society and I think literature is catching up now to grasp and tell those stories that perhaps were missing for a while. You know, I remember being frustrated in my early 20s that it was really hard to find novels ever set in a share house because for me, that was such a defining period of my life, that kind of my Gen Y family, I used to call them back when Gen Y was a thing, who I felt so close to, who were like my family between living with my parents and then eventually meeting and moving in with my partner. And I think literature is now, as evidenced by the two books we're going to discuss today, finally realising that there are stories to be told that are engaging and meaningful and modern in the context of the way we live our adult lives now. All right, Jam, today we are talking about fiction and I would like to introduce to everyone The Other Half of You by Michael Muhammad Ahmed. Now, this is actually the third in a trilogy, but I need to emphasise, and I really do mean this, nobody needs to read the first or the second book before enjoying this book. They are all deliberately written to follow a particular character, Benny Adam, through his life, but they're all written to stand alone. Have you read any of Michael Muhammad Ahmed's work? Yes, Astrid, I have read 
The Lebs, but I never knew it was part of a trilogy. Was it number one or number two? So The Lebs was the second instalment and they're not you don't have to read them all together. So The Lebs came out in 2019 and Muhammad actually was shortlisted for the Miles Franklin Literary Award. That made him the first Muslim person to be shortlisted or longlisted for the Miles Franklin ever. So he made a bit of literary history with his second work, The Lebs. All of these novels, and they are novels, are actually autofiction. So they are based on Muhammad's own life, Muhammad's own experience, markers in his life, both coming of age and now that he is very much a grown up and a father himself. And so, for example, in this latest book, it's about his son, Khalil, and in real life, Muhammad has a son, Khalil. So we follow his life through as autofiction, but he also inserts a whole bunch of stuff and is just exploring life and creating a really beautiful, engaging narrative to read. I have read all of these three and, you know, they are, the first two were highly awarded. The third, The Other Half of You is just out, Jam, and I do think this will find a lot of readers. It is a beautiful and tender read, but I also think it will probably find itself on a lot of short lists because Muhammad is an excellent writer and a very, very self-aware and literary writer. So he pushes the art form. So anyone interested in writing will also love this book as well as an excellent read. When you say he pushes the art form, how? I mean, I think I have a much more perfunctory grasp of reading than you. I read to be entertained, to be informed, but you teach writing and I think you also review books in a way where you really unpack the style and the quality of the writing. What are the boundaries that are being pushed? So in a way, this is autobiography. And normally we would associate autobiography with correct dates and names and events all in a particular timeline or something like that, like kind of almost nonfiction reality. Fiction is what so many of us enjoy. And that does lead to beautiful story arcs and plots and character development and all the rest of it, but it may or may not exist in a world that is our own, right? Like it's fiction. It's the willing suspension of disbelief as we enter into a made up world. Because this is based on his own life, it's actually nonfiction, but also fiction. So it's called autofiction. It is a deliberate blending of genres. You said I teach writing. I do teach writing, Jam, but I teach the boring writing for online and professional writing. I am not a fiction writer. I know enough to simply be really impressed and kind of intellectually challenged as I am really enjoying a great story. And this is a beautiful story. I would say that of the three Muhammad has published, I would say this one is beautiful. I don't think the first two are beautiful. I think they're incredibly accomplished, but the character of Batty Adam, which is based on Muhammad, is a very angry man, angry teenager at some points, and you probably wouldn't necessarily want to be his friend or be his family member in this one. He is a grown-up, he is a father, and he is writing to his son. And regardless of who is writing, we don't normally see such, such a tender depiction of fatherhood in literature. So, Astrid... We are called Anonymous was a woman. We are supposed to discuss books by women, about women, for women. The other half of you is not by a woman, nor is it about a woman. Why is it for women? 
I think that this is for almost anyone who enjoys fiction, to be honest. But to answer your question specifically, women care about everybody in their lives. And this is a man who is basically writing a love letter in the form of a novel to his son. What else is Michael Mohammed Ahmed working on? What happens after the trilogy? Do we know? That's a good question. I mean, this is autofiction in another five or 10 years. Maybe Muhammad will decide that he is going to add a new installment. I guess we can never know in advance. I have heard Muhammad say that this loosely linked autofiction trilogy is maybe all he feels like writing in terms of writing his own stories and putting them out into the world. He is actually also an editor and he is the founder of Sweatshop Literary Movement in Western Sydney. And he has said that he wants to devote the rest of his career to helping other people, particularly people from different backgrounds, tell their own stories and get themselves into print. So he might not be writing anymore? Yeah, look, I I don't know. We'll never know. But I think he's just really interested in helping other people tell their stories. And obviously he's got away with words. Well, very selfishly, I hope this isn't the last book by Michael Mohammed Ahmed that comes out into the world. I'm so looking forward to reading it. I'm fascinated by the relationships between fathers and sons. But I also I feel really happy for all of the emerging and perhaps not so emerging writers who might have the chance to be mentored or edited by Michael Mohammed Ahmed. I mean, what a privilege. I am really excited about the book I am bringing to the table today. It's called The Smash Up by Ali Benjamin. And if I could sum it up in a sentence, this is a novel that captures the politics of the day, but looks at it through the politics of a marriage. Ooh, you know I do love a fiction book that looks at the politics of the day and gives us a little bit of modern commentary. This book I haven't read yet. It is on my bedside table, literally. I am hoping to get there tonight or tomorrow. Can you, without spoilers, tell me how it explores our current lives through a marriage? Okay, so this is the story of Ethan and Zoe, who are a married couple. Ethan was the co-founder of a lucrative, uh, like a a media company, I suppose, like a startup, but he sold out of it. And Zoe was quite a successful filmmaker, but they then decide to make the move to a small rural community. Once they've moved, it's 2018. So politics in the United States is at fever pitch. And in particular, The novel is unfolding around Brett Kavanaugh's Senate confirmation hearings in September of 2018. And Zoe transforms in the face of the political climate she's existing within. And like I think a lot of women did during moments where the Me Too movement was at its most prominent, she found her anger. And so she becomes a very frustrated, very angry, highly politicised woman who is involved in campaigning, who is involved in actions, who is struggling to find a line to draw between her political beliefs 
and her home life and her politics is so fervently felt, she kind of finds it tough to to live anymore, to just be happy. And I think a lot of feminists will have some empathy for that, right? That experience of if you live your feminism to the fullest at every second of your day, it's exhausting because it infiltrates every relationship you have, including the ones you have in your own home. Now, on top of this, finances for this couple are a little bit strained, mostly because they've sent their daughter, Alex, to a super progressive hippie private school that costs a lot of money. And Alex has ADHD and it hasn't been well supported in the public system. So this has to happen. And then Me Too allegations rock Ethan's previous startup where he used to live. And he begins to feel like he doesn't fit in in his own life. Jen, that sounds so very timely. I know we've used that phrase a few times this season on Anonymous Was a Woman, but given the lead times of books, this does sound timely because I think that after Brett Kavanaugh and Me Too and the Trump presidency and, you know, a global pandemic, there are a lot of people who have found their anger or are feeling their pain and relationships are strained and there's a negotiation in public life, but also in our personal lives about where we all stand now. So Jam, you talked about both Zoe and Ethan. Who does this book focus on more? So this is Ethan's story. I think the way I have set it up betrays the character in the book with whom I empathised. <laughs> but it's mostly written in the third person, but it's primarily from Ethan's perspective. So we get very close to Ethan. We get to sort of hear his inner monologue, if you know what I mean. So we, we get more of a sense of who Ethan is and how he is struggling with the feelings his wife is having, her expression of those feelings and his own kind of uncertainty, right? Because he's worked at this company in the past where there has been some questionable activity and he has his own ideas about responsibility and gender politics and reckoning with decisions that perhaps haven't aged well. So we hear this from his perspective. And if anything, my only criticism of the book was that Zoe is, or Zoe is written in a way, it's almost like she's written to be unlikable. And I think as you learn more about her and come closer to her, you warm to her. But I found that a little frustrating because her anger, her anxiety, her rage, to be honest, at that moment towards the end of 2018 in the United States, where I think so many people, particularly American women, were just at boiling point, right? I felt for her in that moment, but it almost didn't feel like the author felt for her. But on reflection, I think Ali Benjamin wrote it the right way, given the perspective with which she was writing from, because she wasn't writing as Zoe, she was writing as Ethan. And Ethan was perplexed and unsure of how to to deal with this sort of change in his wife's politics. And I suspect there are a lot of men who feel like that right now. And so I think a, a novel written from that perspective is a really interesting and important contribution. Now, Ali is an American writer, correct? 
Yes. I know for a fact that a lot of men are feeling this way in America. My father-in-law and mother-in-law are in a very red part of America. And since about 2018, my mother-in-law has become very, very vocal. And she's Mm. in her late 70s and she's decided that she's had enough. And it is quite confronting for the men of her family, for this beautiful, older, small lady to suddenly be telling everybody what she thinks and apparently has been thinking for the last 70 years. So uh, this is a very... uh, I think this will uh, be close to home for many couples. Yeah, buy her a copy of the Smash Up, seriously. I also worry that I've perhaps sold this book to you a little too straight. I mean, it's quite funny and it's almost satirical. The world which is set up and the sort of the farcical nature of the circumstances and the behaviour of the people in it, it almost, it's, it's that line between reality and satire. Sometimes I'm not sure if they're writing about the world as it is or deliberately over the top to reflect the world as it could be. But I think because our politics has become so absurd at times and so almost dystopian at times, a kind of dark satire, it can be hard to pick which side of accurate we're on, right? And one of the things I really enjoyed was this sort of side story, which is the depiction of modern parenting, because Alex is the child of our protagonists and she is the child of the modern world in so many ways. Like there's this great moment where she says, Daddy, some women have penises. Duh. (laughs) I can see kids all over the world responding to their parents in that way, right? Because, you know, it's one of the things I find when I go into schools, I consider myself a pretty progressive person, but whenever I speak in schools, I always go home thinking, I am not remotely woke. What is wrong with me? I don't understand anything. And that's a good thing. At Alex's kind of hippie school, there is a scene where they're like a parent-teacher conference type thing, except the parents are encouraged to place their pins on a mood board so they can express how they feel. And so you can do yellow, which is high-intensity positive, and red, which is high-intensity negative. And it is so reflective of brainstorming or away days that I've been involved with in companies, except it's applied to a school environment with these little kids. That doesn't Um, sound very hippie. It is bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. So tell me, Jam, when you got to the end of the novel, how did it leave you feeling? I don't want to give anything away. So I'm going to be a little cautious here. I was left wincing at the elements of my own life that parallel the farcical nature of the lives I was reading about. I thought it was a really amazing piece of social commentary. I didn't feel like I was being ticked off or being told that I was living my life in the wrong way. I just felt like Ali Benjamin was kind of holding this behavior and these circumstances up on a platter for me to kind of pick through and have a think about. I do think I had a little bit more empathy for men who haven't committed any kind of sexual assault or harassment, but whom have perhaps laughed along or failed to ever raise in their workplaces previously, who are kind of taken aback by the current movement and not sure where they fall 
when they kind of go, I don't think I'm that over there. I don't think I've done bad things, but I'm also part of this system, but I'm not sure if I'm supposed to do anything about that. So I'll just do nothing and stay quiet. And I had a little bit more empathy for that bloke and perhaps a little bit more of an understanding of how to engage on these issues with that kind of person. Okay, Jen, my recommendation today is Leaving Isn't the Hardest Thing by Lauren Huff. Now, Lauren Huff is an American born in Germany and raised in seven different countries. She was actually born into the family, the cult, the family. Oh, wow. That family. Yeah, that family, as in the family that gets capitalized. Now, Lauren Huff, clearly being born into a cult is a life experience and it is one that very few people write about and maybe even survive in one psychologically whole piece. Not only did she spend the first 15 or so years of her life in the cult, traveling around the world, moving from cult house to cult house, she came out as a lesbian and left the cult. She almost immediately joined the US military and then got kicked out of the military during the height of don't ask, don't tell, because of course she was a lesbian. And after that, she, well, she had a bit of a ongoing crisis. She became almost homeless. She started drinking and using drugs and a series of not brilliant relationships. And essentially leaving isn't the hardest thing is her memoir. This is without doubt the best or second best nonfiction memoir I have read this year. It is what it's like to be a grown-up when everything didn't go according to plan. Now, with this recommendation, I know there has been a Twitter controversy about Lauren Huff, and I do feel that it's really important to place my recommendation of her memoir in that context. Essentially, Lauren Huff was quite rude on Twitter, and I really mean quite rude on Twitter, to readers who gave her anything less than a four-star review on Goodreads. I'm a reader. I think writers should respect readers, and I don't think Lauren Huff's behaviour on Twitter is great. However, having read her memoir, I can see why she might be competitive And I don't think she should be cancelled. I think that she should learn from that and never do that again because readers get to give whatever rating they want on Goodreads. But having noticed that controversy, this really is a book that makes you think about what happens if you don't fit in. You have absolutely sold me and I am really glad you mentioned that for want of a better word, controversy on social media because I think often we allow moments like that to turn us off books and leave us cancelling someone, whether it's just internally to our own heads or more broadly too quickly. So I think it's really nice to hear that you think we have an author on our hands who has made a deep error who deserves a second chance because the book is worth reading. I really do. I actually post all the books that I read on social media. And when I posted that I read it, I got all these comments immediately. Do you know what she did? She's being cancelled. And then I hadn't been aware of that. So I went and looked up everything that she'd done. And of course I don't agree with it, but I also think that she behaved poorly and that's it. It's not council worthy. It's she behaved poorly and she shouldn't do it again. And her memoir is still 
one of, if not the best memoir I've read this year. Astrid, I am going to give one very brief recommendation, and that is a book that perhaps fits more closely into coming of age, but which for me has helped me think about my Indianness as the child of an Australian-born mother and an Indian-born father who very much grew up in the Western tradition. And that is The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie. As I said, it is a coming-of-age novel. It actually has some illustrations in it. It's about a kid called Arnold Spirit and he is sort of torn between life on a reservation. He is Native American and his largely white high school. The themes are really sharply drawn in this novel. It's about self-discovery. It's about figuring out where you belong and how heritage and family play into that, but don't define it in its entirety. It won a National Book Award and I think it was well-deserved. It's for a younger reader, but I think for adult readers who are sometimes confused in that experience of being trapped between cultures, sometimes it's really nice to go back and experience that feeling of not knowing where you fit from the perspective of a child again. That's all we've got time for on Anonymous Was a Woman today. We will be back in your feeds on Thursday with Kavita Bedford, who is an Australian Indian author based in Sydney. Her first novel is Friends and Dark Shapes. It was one hell of a conversation with Kavita, so make sure that you don't miss it. And the best way to do that is to subscribe to Anonymous Was a Woman. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're there, why not leave us a rating and a review? It helps other people find out about Anonymous Was a Woman and perhaps be inspired to read more books about women, by women and for women. We'd like to thank Hachette Publishing, without whom this season of Anonymous Was a Woman would not be possible. We really appreciate their ongoing support. Thank you also to Future Women and Bad Producer Productions. Bye.